You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Now, Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be always acceptable in thy sight. The Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Well, uh, good evening. The, the few, the faithful, who've uh, avoided the Super Bowl parties this evening. Maybe you don't have friends. Um, <laughs> no one invited me anywhere, so I'm speaking to the choir. Um, well, uh, <clears throat> we uh, are continuing in Matthew, looking at the discourse passages as... Um, you know, Matthew's broken up, as I've said before, if you've missed this uh, into sort of narrative, you know, action, storytelling, and then there will be a passage where Jesus is speaking. It's almost like, it sounds a lot like an epistle in these discourse passages, and there are five of them. So it's narrative, discourse, narrative, discourse throughout the book of Matthew. And uh, we just uh, went through just some of the Sermon on the Mount, which ended in chapter 7, and we therefore just skipped over narrative in chapters 8 through 9, uh, and a lot's happened. Uh, we've skipped over that to get to the next discourse here in chapter 10, uh, which is the sending out of the 12 disciples. So what have we missed in uh, chapters 8 through 9? What has Jesus, the Messiah King, been up to since then? Well... He has freed lepers of their disease. He's healed paralytics. He's healed other, of, others, of other diseases. He's cast demons out of possessed people. He's calmed a powerful storm at sea. Uh, he called this final disciple of the Twelve, Matthew, the author of our very gospel. He's brought a dead girl back to life, brought sight to the blind, and gave a mute man a voice. We should be marveling uh, of the enormity of all of this. Um, I mean, do I need to read that list again? This is crazy. Freeing people of these diseases. The, sight, the, the blind have sight. The mute can speak. Dead people coming back to life. Um, and even power over uh, nature to rebuke it with his voice and to calm a storm at sea. So Matthew is concerned here in uh, these passages to demonstrate the identity and authority of Jesus Christ, uh, who he is as the long-awaited Messiah King of the universe. And we must wrap our minds around uh, uh, this concept of who Jesus is because the scenes, these scenes uh, in chapters 8 and 9 lead into what Matthew is concerned with next. Uh, immediately before chapter 10, uh, which is our, our passage today, we learn at the end of uh, chapter 9 this. As Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So we now turn from uh, these uh, narrative passages that are demonstrating uh, who Jesus Christ and the authority that he has uh, to uh, concern about the spread of that messianic kingdom, his kingdom, 
Uh, and there are so many people, the crowds that he's looking upon, all these people who are harassed and helpless. And he says, the harvest, he's talking about people. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers for the harvest are few. Um, and uh, so there's so many more people uh, to be encountered, like all those in that list that I just read to you. Uh, and he's not going to attempt to reach them all by himself. He probably could, uh, but he's not going to. Rather, he's going to send others uh, to labor in the sort of quote-unquote harvest. Uh, and uh, that's the, the crowds of people on whom he had compassion, the sheep without a shepherd, the blind, the leprous, the dead, the possessed, the mutes, all sorts of people. Um, and yet we see in our text today that this mission will meet resistance. The mission to do all of that good stuff is going to meet resistance full stop. Just see, for example, uh, if you want to look along in your bulletin, uh, just see, for example, verse 16. He says, Behold, I am sending you out as sheep into the midst of wolves. And what do wolves do? They devour sheep. They kill sheep. They eat them. Sheep are innocent and uh, weak compared to the wolf. And you can compare that, what he's saying in verse 16, to just rewind and go back up to verse 6 where he says to them, go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. In other words, your countrymen are largely wolves in sheep's clothing uh, when it comes to this mission. They will include your family members and even members of your synagogues. And uh, they will bring you into the synagogues and flog you and bring you before other people to try you in the courts of the Gentiles. In other words, persecution is promised. It's not a, it's not a maybe. He's saying this is going to happen. And so from a worldly perspective, it will often look like a failed mission. The mission that he's sending his disciples out to, from a worldly perspective, will often look like a failed mission. It's helpful to see this whole passage almost as if he's a sort of, almost like a, a military officer, okay? Just, just track with me, okay, for a little bit with, with what I'm about to say. It's almost as if he's a military officer and he's sending them out into conflict. He's commissioning them. It's a sort of messianic rallying of the troops. Uh, and it's on the eve of great battle. Do you remember the film Braveheart? Of course you do. If you haven't seen it, it's just one of those films that you, you have to see. Do you remember the freedom speech in Braveheart? Uh, if, you, if you don't know the story, this is uh, many centuries ago where Scotland and England are battling and the Scottish want freedom from the tyranny of the English. Uh, and here, um, the Scottish freedom fighters are, were about to battle with England, uh, is much more powerful than the sort of ragtag group from Scotland. And at first the Scottish army is reluctant, and they're, they're about ready to leave the bat battlefield facing the English troops. And then the legendary hero, William Wallace, arrives and he takes command. He, he, just, he just sweeps in and takes command from the, those who are actually in charge because of his presence. And he talks, uh, he talks to them about the necessity of freedom against all odds and his sort of rallying cry to all these troops. He's, his speech is all about freedom and, uh, and that being a worthy cause. 
And uh, they're about to leave, and they're explaining why they're about to leave, because they're weak in the face of uh, this, these English troops. And he says, yes, fight, and you may die. I, I can't do it like um, Mel Gibson did. So, you know, just hear the words. Yes, fight, and you may die. Run, and you will live at least a while. And dying in your bed many years from now, would you be willing to trade all the days from this day to that for one chance to come back here as young men and tell our enemies that they may take our lives, but they will never take our freedom, right? Do you remember that? And, I mean, that's all he had to say. And then they charged into battle after him uh, because of that rallying over a, a noble cause that's worth fighting for. And the tenor of Matthew chapter 10 is very similar to what William Wallace was saying. This is basically Jesus knighting the nobility of his kingdom before battle. But they're going not with arms. They're going with a message. It's a sort of diplomatic journey. Yet it will bring them pain because uh, the diplomacy will steer up opposition. You might also remember shortly after William Wallace's speech where he says the thing about freedom, uh, one of his companions says, what are you going to do? And he says, I'm going to pick a fight. Do you remember? That's kind of funny the way he says it. That's basically what's going on here. But it's not in the same way. It's not with uh, swords and spears and shields. Jesus is just stirring up opposition merely because of who he is and what he stands for. He, his picking of a fight is inevitable. Uh, and we will see this happen right away in chapter 11, right after this, with John the Baptist in prison. And Jesus Christ and his disciples will meet opposition the rest of the story of Matthew all the way to the end, and it will end with him dying at the hands of wolves in sheep's clothing, just as in Braveheart, William Wallace dies a torturous death in the end. This is one of several passages in the Gospels that demonstrate what uh, the theologian and pastor Dietrich Bonhoeffer famously called the cost of discipleship. Now, discipleship is a strange word. It's not actually in the Bible per se. The, the word disciple, of course, is in the Bible. Uh, it's here in our passage. And similar derivatives of it are in the, in the New Testament. So actually the concept of discipleship is biblical, although the, the word itself and that spelling is not in the Bible. The, our church, the Cathedral Church of the Advent, just came out with re-articulating our vision uh, in the sort of, I guess in the fall we sort of launched and, um, and codified what our vision is. And as we've been saying, it's nothing new. We're just, um, we're um, solidifying what we stand for. And this is what we said in our vision statement. We are the Cathedral Church of the Advent. We are a church with a living, daring confidence in God's grace through the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is not in self-confidence that we live. It is in Christ-confidence. We exist to proclaim the freeing power of the gospel of Jesus Christ and to make disciples wherever God has placed us. And out of that vision, we uh, created uh, four, um, what are we calling them? I forget, purpose, sort of, four statements of things that we're going to do. Uh, and discipleship is one of them. And we said, we will equip every member of the admin for the work of discipleship by creating, a nurturing, creating and nurturing a culture that responds to the grace we have received from Jesus Christ. Well, what in the world does this mean, actually? What are we talking about when we're talking about discipleship? It certainly sounds nice. 
but it can be confusing and misinterpreted. And if you come from different backgrounds in the church, you might hear discipleship and your alarm bells go off about things like accountability and legalism, right? I mean, am I wrong? Like half of you are nodding your heads. That when you hear the word, that that's the sort of the, the wounds that might come up. Um, or maybe uh, it's just a word that you've never even really heard before, you know, because that's just not your church tradition. As I said, uh, chapter 10 paints a picture of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Shelve all the notions that you have when someone says discipleship for a little bit. And just pay attention to what Jesus is talking about in chapter 10. He's painting a picture of the cost of discipleship, what it means to be one of his disciples, one of those who follow him with their entire lives. It's to be one of the knights in his diplomatic army, being his ambassadors in the Department of State and the king, of the Kingdom of God, which basically equals martyrdom. Actually, verse 18 says, you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. And that phrase, to bear witness, in the Greek is marturion, which is where we get the word martyr. Because so many of the early Christians who bore witness to Jesus Christ were martyred for the faith, that those ideas became conflated to mean the same thing. And so to be a disciple is to basically be a knight in Christ's army, as if to be a martyr. So why do this at all? Just think of what William Wallace told the weak Scottish army. It's the noble thing to do. It's the right thing to do. It's a message based on freedom and not tyranny, or a task, rather, based on freedom and not tyranny. And when, you're, when you understand and are compelled by this, you basically will have no other choice. When you get this, you basically have no other choice but to do likewise. And you are following the mightiest commander of them all, the Messiah. I mean, William Wallace is yesterday's news compared to what we're talking about here. And here is your hope and purpose. Just take a look at verse 22. You will be hated by all for my name's sake but the one who endures to the end will be saved. In other words, your safety and the spoils of these battles are in eternity. And this is what discipleship means ultimately. I'm going to bring this in for a landing. And I, there, there, I believe that there are two messages that I can give you right now in response to all that I've said. First, I want to speak to those of you who are disciples of Jesus Christ, who uh, understand what that means and can say, yes, I sign on the dotted line that I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ. That is, those who uh, see yourselves as followers of the Messiah. You are the knights in his diplomatic corps, in other words. And I say to you today, recommit yourself, knowing that the true Messiah has redeemed you. He came for you. You were in the harvest, one on whom he had compassion, a sheep without a shepherd. He died for you and rose for you. He called you to himself. And he has appointed you a partner for his purposes of spreading the word about himself. And know this, this is the, this is the thing for our present day and age, okay? The contemporary church, our culture, and even the so-called Bible Belt of the South that we live in 
are like the countrymen and family members and the members of the synagogues who would betray those earliest disciples. If we actually spread the word of the Messiah like he intended us to, if we took this stuff absolutely seriously, we'd be strung up by our fellow Christians and neighbors too. Uh, That message is for us. And we must do this. It's our calling. We are fighting for the freedom. As Brandon said in his welcome message, if you were here, we are fighting for the freedom of our neighbors, even the ones who might deliver us to the courts and flog us. Now I speak to everyone else. If you've had doubts or on the fence or perhaps uh, or, uh, in, indeed in opposition to the Christian message, know that Jesus Christ died for the ungodly. He came to redeem those who would kill him. Any who are now his disciples were once enemies of God. And this is something that I resonate with. Uh, choose today whom you will serve. You know, like those, uh, that ragtag bunch on the Scottish battlefield. And I know what it's like to waver, believe me. I do so every single day. But hear your king on the battlefield again today and take heart and follow him. Um, I'm going to sound like I know a lot more about Tolkien than I do, but I want to retell you a scene from the final book of uh, uh, Tolkien's The Lord of the Rings that I think resonate with what I just said. And uh, it's a, this, the penultimate chapter of his final book, The Return of the King, is called The Scouring of the Shire, which isn't in the, the Jackson movies. Um, And this is after all the hobbits, if you don't know, there are these diminutive people called the hobbits who've been journeying through all three books and fighting great battles for their king. And they come from this sort of idyllic, utopian place called the Shire, you know. Um, Just think um, little earthen huts and um, smoking pipes and everything is warm and fuzzy, you know. And they've been out there journeying and they come back, the hobbits come back to their Shire and they encounter what are called ruffians. Call, he calls ruffians in the books, in the book. Uh, and one of the hobbits' name is Pippin. And their shire has been taken over by these ruffians. And here is Pippin's response to the ruffians. He cast back his cloak, flashed his sword, and the silver and sable of Gandar gleamed on him as he rode forward. I am a messenger of the king, he said. You were speaking to the king's friend, and one of the most renowned in all the lands of the West. You are a ruffian and a fool. Down on your knees in the road and ask pardon, or I will set this troll's bane in you. The sword glinted in the westering sun. Mary and Sam, that's two other hobbits, drew their swords also and rode up to support Pippin, but Frodo did not move. The ruffians gave back. Scaring Breedland peasants and bullying bewildered hobbits had been their work. Fearless hobbits with bright swords and grim faces were a great surprise. And there was a note in in their voices of these newcomers that they had not heard before. It chilled them with fear. This is an image of what it means, of who we are, to be called to be the disciples of the true king. Remember the hobbits in the beginning of the story, if you know the story, they were not like that. And they've been transformed to be such a people because of all the time and knowledge that they've had spending in the presence of their king. And the same is true for us.
And here's my final thought. If all this militaristic language about being a disciple bothers you, I totally understand. But hear these final words from the Apostle Paul from Ephesians chapter 6. Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand firm, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare boldly as I ought to speak. Do you see what the armor actually is? Truth, righteousness, the gospel of peace, salvation, and the word of God. So take up your sword like Pippin did. But yours is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. You are an ambassador. You are a friend and messenger of the one true King, and your confidence is in Him. And go bravely into battle, knowing, as the song that we so often sing here at the five o'clock says, He has already won the war. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.